Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with another episode of Obsidian Nights, and today I have with me Melinda, and we will be doing Catlin 5. Melinda, would you like to introduce yourself to the people? <laughs> yes, my name is Melinda. I am a big fan of A Song of Ice and Fire, as everyone else here is, I'm sure. I am not active in a lot of spaces that most people are. I have a Twitter account and it's omindy, O-H-H-H, Mindy. And I talk about politics. So if you don't like that, don't don't follow me. <laughs> but I also talk sometimes about A Song of Ice and Fire. And I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So I'll leave your link to your Twitter and everything in the description box. So I'm glad you could come. We're going to be talking about my favorite person ever. Just kidding. So we're going to be talking about Catlin. And this chapter, I feel, is one of those chapters where Catlin out, out does herself. <laughs> she, she just outthinks herself. This is one of the things, this is one of the major things that calls the War of Five Kings. Or, yeah, it's one of the things. It's not the thing, but it's definitely one of the things. Yes, definitely. There's definitely... A lot to be said for what happens here for kicking things off in a very obvious way. Yes. So Sir Roderick and Catelyn Stark are going through the Riverlands and Tyrion is coming down from the wall and they happen to meet at an inn. But there's so much other stuff going on in this chapter. I feel like there's a lot of political exposition that goes on in this chapter, especially when it comes to Robert's rebellion and how things went down in the Riverlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They talk about like you, you get a lot of uh, information about where loyalties lie. Yes, you do. Um, so they're at this inn, the inn at the cross. Is it the inn at the crossroads? It is. It's the inn at the crossroads. Yes. Yes. We're at the inn at the crossroads and Catelyn used to actually stay there when she was young and traveling with her father. So we're also introduced to Catelyn's father. He doesn't appear in the chapter, but we get a lot of exposition on him. So Catelyn's father is Lord Hoster Tully. She says that he was a restless man in his prime, always riding somewhere. And she happened to stay at the Inn at the Crossroads when she was younger. So I... Hoster Tully as a character, I kind of wish we had more about him. Like, I wish we had an actual, like, not a POV, but more information, like a, an actual conversation that he has. You know what I mean? Like, we don't really have that. We have, he, like, his waning moments. He's a, a very, yes. And he is someone who has, I think he probably has too much information um, oh, yeah. Those people that could shed a little too much light. But I am intrigued by him as well, because he seems to be someone who was very politically motivated, um, ambitious, 
because it seems odd to me that Catelyn traveled with him so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, she had uh, another a brother and a sister, and she just mentions herself in this instance that she traveled with him quite a lot, and that made me think that he was taking her places to introduce her to people for possible marriage arrangements or things of that nature. That just seemed like something he would be doing. I can't think why else he would take. Yeah. That. I think you're probably hitting the nail on the head. That seems the most like likely reason, but also I think that Catelyn inherited his ambition and his like political, like he, like you said, he's very active in the politics of Westeros. He's very ambitious. And so is Catelyn. Like when we're first introduced to Catelyn, I think it's in a Ned chapter, we find out that she actually does have these Southern ambitions, but not only for like Sansa, but for her, her kids as well. Yeah. She's really, she's all on board initially for Sansa to marry Joffrey and become queen of everyone. And for someone who is a mother in the high North of the realm, it's, it's really interesting to see her push for something like that when typically the North stays out of most things. So you can see that there's a lot of ambition and especially bringing her from the Riverlands up there. She's brought all of that with her where Ned is very uncomfortable with it all. Right. And it is Catelyn that convinces Ned to go to King's Landing. Um, I know that in the show, they kind of did that differently, but it's actually Catelyn who convinces him like, you know, you have to go. Yes. And he, and when he does, when he decides that she's a little bit heartbroken because she's suddenly going to lose him and half of her family. Yes. Uh, but she's willing to pay that price. Yeah, she is because she's ambitious. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's true. She is. But I don't view that as a negative thing. I think she's ambitious because if we think of our own sort of medieval times, you, the, all the goal is for a woman in these times is to have her children marry well and to mm -hmm. further the house in lands and um, titles. And so for her to want these things for her children, it's not necessarily bad. It's just um, in this, in, in this, this story, it turns out terribly. <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad thing that she has ambition. I think it's just foolish to say that she doesn't. I know a lot of people are like, oh, she's not really ambitious. She doesn't really like, she's just trying to protect her kids and she's just trying to do this. No, she's ambitious. Like she's, yeah. she's no more or no less ambitious than Cersei. Exactly. She is. And we just have a viewpoint of, of her from a motherhood of her loving family and all of this. And Cersei comes from just raw ambition. Yeah. It's just not hidden behind layers of love and affection. It's just out for everyone to see. Yeah. And so in a way, Cersei's ambition is more honest than anyone else's. Yes. I agree with that. I love that <laughs> analyzation. I love it. <laughs> so Catelyn, I will say, she is, while she does things that are questionable and she does things that I would deem almost stupid, um, she does have a very political mind. Like, I feel, I've said this previously, I feel if Ned had actually taken her with him to King's Landing, 
that she would have helped him greatly. Her presence in King's Landing would have helped him greatly because she does know politics and Southern politics, especially way more than Ned. Yes. She, I haven't heard you say that before, but that's a great point because, because she's so savvy. I mean, she could have, she would have seen through things that Ned naively doesn't because he's so honest and he thinks everyone plays by the same rules when clearly they do not. And he has, as he says, he, he has no taste for any of these games that the people play. Whereas I think Catelyn, especially because she did travel with Hoster Tully, I'm sure she saw a lot of negotiation, a lot of talks, and was in rooms where these talks were taking place. And she probably learned a lot about each of these houses and how they operate. Yeah. One thing I noticed to me that stood out in this chapter was that she is very political. She is analytical too like she's saying you know do i go to river run do i tell my father like to get ready for war does river run need to be ready do i go to lisa like she's actually thinking ahead like a catlin gets a lot of a lot of shit because it's easy to look at her and say damn she just does you know makes these emotional split decisions and she does that like with jamie I feel like that was an emotional decision to let Jamie go. Um, With Tyrion, I also think it was an emotional decision. But that's not to say that they weren't thought out. Yes. And I think one of the things that's kind of overlooked in this chapter, um, a couple of things. She's looking out when she's sitting in her room. They get a room in the bell under the bells, which I found interesting anyway. But she's looking out of this glass that's milky and it's full of bubbles and it's raining outside and it's really hard to see. And so in her mind's eye, she kind of goes back to, to what she knows. She said, it says the rain obscured the fields beyond the crossroads, but Catelyn saw the land clear enough in her memory. And I think that that is a metaphor for how she's seeing everything. So even though she's very politically savvy, she sees everything as how it was. So she sees yes. how, how he was. She sees Lysa, how she was. She's not considering and taking into account that these things have all changed in these years that have passed since she's last seen them. And she's not, even though she tells Ned, you knew, you knew Robert the man, now you don't know Robert the king. The same thing applies to her. And the way she's viewing everyone in every place, she thinks everything is sort of the same as it was. And she can trust Peter Baelish and she can go to her sister with confidence and not understanding that she's seeing things through her memory. Go off. Go (laughs) off. I love that. That is a great analogy. Like, I'm not even kidding. That's really, (laughs) no, seriously, because that's the problem with Catelyn is that she doesn't account that Lysa's going to be crazy now. And she doesn't account that Littlefinger is a traitor now. Like, she doesn't account for these things. And she is seeing things how they were and not how they are. Exactly. And she, yeah, she's just, she's got great um, intentions. But that's, hell is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as they say. Right, right. 
God bless her. (laughs) (laughs) So she's actually in a disguise. That's also very smart Mm -hmm. um, for her and Sir Roderick to be traveling as father and daughter. Uh, I thought it was kind of strange because I'm like, you've been to this inn. You're like the daughter (laughs) of the Lord here. How do people not know who you are? Yeah, I thought it was strange when she pulled out dry clothes and put them on. I was like, what kind of clothes? She must have known that she had to go in disguise all the way to King's Landing. Yes. But I mean, she was really prepared if she had some rough spun clothes, like not her ladies clothes to take with her to be ready for these kind of occasions. And she was also very bold when Jason Malister was came, coming down the road and she just stood there and didn't cover her head. Um, she was, it was almost like daring him to recognize her. And I was like, what is your goal here? Because if he did recognize her, um, she would have, Lucy has some splaining to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if, you know, so on the one hand, she's very cautious this, this trip. On the other hand, she's, now it's like she's gotten to her home and she's comfortable. She's just, this is, this is my place. I know my people. I know how this works. I own this. And so she's very bold in that instance. And that encourages her to go to the inn where they must know there are going to be dozens of people traveling to King's Landing for that tourney. Yes. And so the odds are she's going to run into a lot of people she might know. Yeah. I mean, it is the roads are packed at this point. That is a huge, like that, the hands turning like that. What is, what was it? 80,000 gold dragons. Like that's a lot of money. Yeah. Everyone in the realm is every knight and high Lord in the realm is going to try to come to that, um, for glory basically, you know, and money, you know, um, it's, it's a big gamble that she takes here. I'm not sure why she takes, does this. I'm not sure, except for, I think, again, I think she just became comfortable mm-hmm. because she's in her father's lands. She's like, I got this. Yeah, I think that's probably the most likely, that's the most likely um, explanation. We also get introduced to Marillion. Oh, <laughs> bless. I don't know if you watched The Witcher, but Marillion reminds me of Yasker. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I actually am rereading this chapter. I was like, I love him. He's so, um, he's so vain and he's so, he's so, you know, young and just pompous and it's hilarious. It's just funny. The whole interaction. Yeah, I love it. So Marillion, for those of you who haven't read the books and you're just following along with Obsidian Knights, Marillion is a singer and he will appear more and more. And he also says that he was at River Run before. He was a singer. And like and we found out Edmir hates singers. <laughs> what I love in this, this interaction is that Catelyn is so relaxed She's just playing along and she's goading him to say more and more. Um, but at the same time, he asks them questions and she tells him that they've just come from King's Landing, which an- that's another thing that I think was very, very ill-conceived because he's obviously someone he talks 
as much as I do, which is a lot. He <laughs> talks <laughs> 90 to nothing to every person that he meets and he's ambitious. So if she were to be found out, which we find out later, she is, mm -hmm. you could tell everyone that she yes. said she was traveling from King's Landing. Yeah, that was stupid. Like you went through all this trouble to cover that you, where you're coming from, who you are, just to tell a singer. And you know, in this story, I find that singers are not trustworthy. They're just not. Like if you look at the one that Tyrion put put in this the oh, the one he cooked in the stew or whatever. Yes. I don't remember his name. I can't think of his name. I can't think of his name. I know it and I can't think of it, but like he was ready to sell out Tyrion's secrets and like um wrote a whole song about it. Right. And then you have um Tom O'Sevens, which is huh. like a spy for the Brotherhood yes. Without Banners in River Run right now. So like the there's something about these singers that they're all like shady. Yeah, they're very schemy and like and they have no qualms. I mean, imagine a high lord and trying to blackmail him with a song talking about Tyrion. I can't imagine doing that and being that bold and thinking there would be no recourse. However, I don't think he thought it would be quite that bad. <laughs> no, I don't think he did. He underestimated Tyrion. Yes, but Marillion, yes, he's, yeah, you can't trust a singer. Why would you just, the one piece of information that she should have kept to herself for sure is that she traveled from King's Landing because there would be no reason that she could give for being down there yeah. uh, that would make any sense. To anyone and all of these these people traveling to this tourney if she's discovered um and marillion tells them her you know they're all going to king's landing the word would get out for yeah, sure it would it would and in the process that all this is going down in walks Tyrion lannister and this is where it kind of gets like tense the chapter gets tense because the last thing that Catelyn heard was that Tyrion's blade is the blade that tried to kill Bran. It was Tyrion's blade. And she heard it from Littlefinger. And like you said, she's looking at how things were and not how things are. So she takes that as the truth. Like that is it. Littlefinger said, it's your blade. It's your blade. So, um, Tyrion comes in and they recognize each other. Well, well, Tyrion recognizes Catelyn. Tyrion says, Lady Stark, what an unexpected pleasure. I was sorry to miss you at Winterfell. And then that's when Marillion realizes that she's Catelyn Stark. Which is great because she, she had asked him if he ever traveled to Winterfell. And he said, why would I? <laughs> and they yeah. Something like they only listen to the music of wolves or something to that effect. And, and so this was really funny because not only is she Lady Stark, but she's obviously a Tully. And he's bragged about how much he is loved at River Run. Yes. And um, so she says, I was still Catelyn Tully the last time I betted here. She told the innkeep. She could hear the muttering, feel the eyes upon her. Catelyn glanced around the room at the faces of the knights and sworn swords and took a deep breath to slow the frantic beating of her heart. Did she dare take the risk? There was no time to think it through, only the moment and the sound of her own voice ringing in her ears. So earlier, 
she was thinking about like she's just said that like she doesn't have any time to think this through she just has to seize the moment like the moment has presented itself she has to either act or not she doesn't have time to think about it but earlier she was thinking about the loyalty of the bannerman of house tully so she was thinking about house blackwood and house bracken and the phrase and house dairy like she was thinking of all these people and how they fought with her father and it's funny because out of all those people the phrase had the most people there but the phrase were the people that she was concerned about the most yes it seems some foreshadowing it's been foreshadowing because her father gave um Walter Frey, the name, the late Lord Frey, because he brought his, his armies to the Trident after the battle was over. And so the, no one could really tell which side he was going to join. And of course he says their side, obviously, but you know, his, his loyalty is always in question because he's a shady, shady guy. Yeah. And the most people there are the Freys. And again, she, as you say, she wonders who would join in this? In, in that same in that same thought process, she says, "It must not come to war. We must not let it, or something to that effect." And she she says that she's thinking that in her head, like it must not come to war. But I think what happens with Tyrion, he walks in, and she envisions him bleeding and choking on his blood and all of this stuff. And she, as she sits there and he's talking, he's so arrogant and, you know, and he's got that swagger because he's a Lannister. He's flashing gold to, to get a room from people um, because there are no rooms left. So he's tossing a coin in the air and it's blinking and glittering. And, and as he's doing all this, her anger just rises because she's just, all she's thinking about is Bran yeah. and how she thinks he tried to kill her favorite child. Not just any child, but Bran is clearly her favorite. Mm -hmm. um, he and, is. And he just, and it just overtakes her. But at the same time, she's so angry. At the same time, she's thankful that she's far enough away. And there are so many people in there that he's not going to notice her. But Marillion steps up and asks to sing for him. And suddenly he sees Catelyn. Yes. And it, the jig is up. It's up. So Catelyn basically tells those men all her father's bannermen to seize uh Tyrion. she said this man came a guest into my house and there conspired to murder my son a boy of seven she proclaimed to the room at large pointing sir roderick moved to her side his sword in hand in the name of king robert and the good lord you serve i call upon you to seize him and help me return him to winterfell to await the king's justice. She did not know what was more satisfying, the sounds of a dozen swords drawn at once or the look on Tyrion Lannister's face. So I want to play from the other side. I want to say how stupid, <laughs> how stupid this is. It's stupid because she hasn't thought it out. She hasn't thought out like what will happen. She knows that Ned is in King's Landing and she knows that Ned is like to face consequences for this, which does like, like Jory basically loses his life and some other guards lose their life because of this. 
Jamie Lannister retaliates against. Like, it's one retaliation after another. There's a cat's ball hired to kill Bran. And then in retaliation for that, they take Tyrion. And in retaliation for taking Tyrion, Jamie attacks Ned in the streets of King's Landing. So there's like this, it, the Annie is getting upped every time until it's just full-blown war. And I think that the smart thing that Catelyn did was announce that she was taking Tyrion to Winterfell, but then take him to the Vale. I think she'd have probably fared better if she'd have just took him to Winterfell, but she went to the Vale with her crazy-ass sister. But when I, when I look at it, it just seems like such an irrational decision. One of the things, I mean, I can understand that on the other hand, it's, it's sort of compounded. She sort of has to take Tyrion. And the reason I think that is because she's backed herself into a corner by announcing that where she came from. So now this singer knows where she came from, mm-hmm. knows where she came from, and that's King's Landing. She, has, she knows that that information is going to get out, and that will put them all in danger if Tyrion goes back to King's Landing and asks his sister or, you know, why, why was she there? And of course she was there secretly. No one knows she was there. Um, and so I think she sort of painted herself into a corner and she, her only option in that moment, one of the things that I thought about in this is when she did this, she abandoned her family up North cause she should have gone to her children, obviously. Um, she abandoned her duty, which was she was given explicit instructions on what to do from Ned. But did she abandon her honor? So family duty honor. And I think that that's the question that I, I leave this chapter with. I don't think she abandoned her honor. I think that she did the one thing that she thought she could do. I feel like she should have taken him to River Run because they were in the most danger. Um, if war came and she even thought about that. Yeah. But I think she had just painted herself into a corner. I feel like she was, and she was so angry. Imagine see, imagine your son is lying dying or could be dying in a bed. And you think this man killed him. I don't know. But in this day and age, I always said, if somebody did something to my child, they wouldn't make it to court, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And so I think she's just, it's pure emotion that she goes off of because she's logical in this chapter all the way to that. She thinks about, will the bannermen be, you know, will they support us? Will will they come if my father calls his banners? Will they come? You know, she thinks about who was loyal to the Targaryens and who was loyal to, to Robert Baratheon, who, who fought for whom during Robert's rebellion. And she thinks it all out. And she says, you know, again, that, it cannot come to war. It must not. And in this moment, her emotions just take over and she takes him. And when she takes him, I think it's funny because when she's talking to um, the phrase, which this is the first introduction of the phrase to the story, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And she's talking to them and they, you know, Lord Walter is, they're saying Lord Walter as well. And he's about to take his, next wife they would love for her father to be at the wedding and Tyrion Lannister because this is like his eighth wife because he's so old Tyrion right. he it says Tyrion Lannister sniggered and that was when Catelyn knew he was hers and it's because he he laughed at the phrase 
I think that it's because she's like, I'm going to have their backing. She thinks in her mind, I'm going to have their backing because you can't laugh at the phrase. They already do not, they don't feel like they get any respect in the realm. Mm -hmm. And if you laugh at them, I think that that's when she thought, ha, I've got him. And yeah. this is going to go my way. Now, everything as a result is terrible, but I understand her. I understand how you can get to that point of you're so angry and this man has walked in and he's being very pompous and arrogant and she just wants to choke him out because he, she thinks he tried to kill her son. Yeah. See, I think George does that a lot with the women in the books with the exception of Daenerys and Arya. Um, well, later Arya, not early Arya, but he has them act on emotion a lot. And he doesn't necessarily do that with the men. Like, you'll never see Stannis acting out of emotion. You never see Jon Snow acting out of emotion. Like something that could cause a war. Um. True to a, to a degree, because Jon Snow tried to leave the Night's Watch and join Rob. So I think he did, but he was young. And he so his emotions got the better of him and his friends saved him. But I do think you're right. For the most part, it is mostly women who respond in emotion. Because even Ned very rarely loses his temper. Mm -hmm. You know, he's very logical and methodical to some degrees. And of course, Stannis, I'm not sure he has emotion. <laughs> I won't even say it's just women. I feel like it's mothers. Like I see it a lot in Cersei. I see it a lot in Catelyn. I see it a lot in Daenerys, even though Daenerys is like um, the mother of dragons. She doesn't really act on emotion. She's a very analytical person. But when it comes to certain things, you can tell that there are a lot of emotions behind it and it's why she's doing things. And I know like every major decision that Catelyn has made has been on emotions. Yes. She, her emotions do and, get away from her. And it's, and it's basically a mother's emotions. Like it always boils down to her children. Yeah. And I think that's why some people love Catelyn for her mothering because in some way, in some ways, because they yeah, also I was about to say in some ways, <laughs> in some ways, cause she, they're like, they, she abandoned her girls. She didn't care about, you know, Rickon and, and all of this. But I think that her, I think her attention is so divided between five children that it's, you know, it's got to be difficult, but I think that, yes, she, she has a lot of love for her family. It is her first and foremost, always seems to be family. Yeah. And in this moment, she abandons her family up north and she abandons, her, you know, her children and she abandons um, her duty, which is to do what Ned has said. And again, that's where I go back to honor. Did, was this honorable or was this, I mean, I don't know that she abandoned her honor. I, I don't think it was honorable. You don't. Okay. I don't. I feel like the honorable thing to do would have been to like, listen to her husband because it puts him in such a bad position. Like he's, he's already has like two knives at his throat right now. So yes. her doing this like brings a third knife at his throat. Think the honorable thing to do 
would have been to ride to King's Landing with Tyrion and mm. present present it how it's going to be presented. But to kidnap, like he's a high lord, <laughs> to yes. kid to kidnap a high lord. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we can call that honorable no matter what she thought it was. That's a fair point because it's written her to, she has acted purely on emotion. I was going to say, and he was careful to put that part in there that she didn't have time to think about it. She only had the moment and she had to seize it. So had she thought about it, had she had time to think I don't think she would have taken him. I think, and I think that's clear in the next, her next chapter when she has doubts, but she, I mean, not to jump too far ahead, but she sort of pushes those aside because she wants to think she's done the right thing. And oh, we all do. We all do. When we do something questionable, we want to, you know, assure ourselves that we did, we made the right choice when we might not have. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like she's, she's, desperate to have made the right choice and and because she's acted on emotion and again you know I think of a child lying in bed and he's clearly never going to walk again even if he does wake up but she's still at this point doesn't know you know will he live and his who she thinks is his murderer is there mm-hmm <sighs> I, I mean, yeah, I sympathize with I her. Totally I see you doing that. <laughs> yeah, I could see me killing his ass right in the end, blood everywhere, but that wouldn't make it right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And yeah. When we're <laughs> analyzing this, we have like the benefit of knowing that Tyrion has nothing to do with this plot. Right. <laughs> so that also probably kind of factors in for me because I know Tyrion is innocent. And I know Littlefinger is behind everything. So that makes her look stupid. But she doesn't know these things. Because yes. she, as you said, she's looking at things as they were and not how they are. And one of the things that, I mean, one of the things that Marillion says to her that I thought was interesting and should have actually made her, you know, key into something is he said that he lost a lot, all his money at the last tourney that he attended because um, he bet on Jamie Lannister to beat Ty- uh, Loris Tyrell in the, in the joust, I think it was. And of course, Loris Tyrell won. And so he lost all his money, but that should have made her in her mind go, huh, this, he obviously thought Jamie was going to win. Um, did other people assume that Jamie was going to beat this kid wouldn't that mean why would Tyrion bet against Jamie? Because it seems logical to assume the Kingslayer is going to win um, against this young knight that who most people hadn't seen at that point. Yeah. So and why would Tyrion and Tyrion knows Jamie better than anyone? And Jamie is like at this point in the story, the most legendary swordsman yes. in the story. Like he just is. Two-handed Jamie is a badass with a sword. Yes. Exactly. And so that should have, that should have given her a little bit of insight, but she, it's glossed over. She just moves right along and doesn't even consider that because she, I can, I think about the time she spent with Peter Baelish, you know, he had her in a brothel, which should have made her go, who is this guy now? But he must've been in that time that she waited on Ned to arrive in King's Landing. 
you know, she was clearly comfortable there by the time he got there. And it means, it says to me, because she was so comfortable in that brothel, which is bizarre if you really think about it, um, but she was comfortable and she felt safe. He obviously made her feel that way. He made her feel she can trust him. She, she had, he had days or weeks, however long it was to really talk to her and make her feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so she believed him so much because she had no, she had no um, advantage of having perspective of him outside of that, his area, his domain. Mm-hmm. He had her in his place and none of these women would talk badly about him. You know, they're all going to be, you know, positive if she did speak to any of them. It's um, he had time to manipulate her and she believed everything he said. I, you know what I find odd about Catelyn is that when, when Ned was talking about, you know, going to King's Landing, he's, she was like, he, he tells her, he said, Robert would never harm me or my children or my, or me or mine or whatever Ned said about Robert. And Catelyn was like the Robert, you knew, but he's a different man. And I'm like, bitch, why you in and apply that to Littlefinger? Like, that's because we can't see ourselves clearly. It's like I tell everyone, I give great advice. I do not take my own advice. Catelyn <laughs> has that same flaw. She's like, the it's the she's it's the fallibility because of self because she believes she knows these people based on a past where she thinks, Ned, you can't possibly know him now. <laughs> right. What are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Same with her sister even, because um, I, I think Littlefinger even tells her, you know, you haven't seen her in a while. You know, she's, she's very different. And it, it, in her mind, she's still thinking of the Lysa she knew and can't imagine that that's different. And so it's hard for her to understand how Ned would view the same yes she doesn't but I mean that's basically Catelyn five she takes Tyrion and there's gonna be a lot of hell to pay going forward for this move even though this was a powerful move it wasn't necessarily the best move for House Stark Oh, but it felt good in the moment. <laughs> oh, that's how a lot of those moves feel like. <laughs> they feel good in the moment, but those consequences, baby, they don't feel good. <laughs> that's how everyone on the planet gets in trouble. Yes. It feels good in the moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I want to thank you for coming on. Um, if you want to let the people know where they can find you again, I will link all your information in the description box, but you can just let them know. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at omindy, O-H-H-H, Mindy. Um, and yeah, if you don't mind politics and a song of ice and fire and some big brother, um, <laughs> follow me. I'd love to chat with you. All right. Well, I will see you guys next week. Bye.